the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Tuesday edition of the Dave Ellswick Show as this week uh, keeps on going. Everybody says, how are you feeling today, Dave? And I say, I'm feeling great, looking down on the grass and not up at it. So I'm doing all right. It's a good day. Elizabeth is here. She is sitting in the studio with me as well. Heidi is over in the uh, uh, chair for... She would be, if, if she was in Star Trek, Heidi would be Chekhov. <laughs> all right that's that's what heidi would be she's sitting that's a right good thing. That's she's a good si- thing. she's sitting in front of all the the controls i'm at mission control that's all see all i do is i look at heidi and go make it so and she does <laughs> ground control to major tom <laughs> so we she does she does a good job for us i never thought that i would talk seriously about the first topic today look at me on facebook Look at my face. Seriously, I never thought I would look at uh, or talk about this seriously. But we're going to. We're going to have to. Because some people are already. Uh, Story today, or or not today, yesterday, from MarketWatch. All right. It's an opinion piece by Brett Arenda. Okay, taxpayers, better get the checkbook out. Not only are we talking about universal health care and a Green New Deal, we are seriously now talking about paying reparations for slavery. Democrats raised the idea on Capitol Hill last week as part of their plan to blow the 2020 presidential election. And I, now I'm going to tell you what, I agree with that. They, they will snatch defeat from the jaws of possible victory if they really push this. The immediate idea is to pay reparation to today's African Americans for the economic losses from slavery. But as we're going to see, the idea won't stop there. Nobody knows what kind of numbers we're really talking about. But Claudia Golden, an economics professor at Harvard, says they'd be, in Donald Trump's words, huge. Actually, 
we can sort of work it out. Contemporaries put a number on the economic value of their slaves, and it showed up in market prices. And we know what would happen if you had reinvested the money, for example, in treasury bonds since then. Bottom line, if you took the value of successive generations of U.S. slaves, say the total value in 1800, 1830, and 1860, and uh, at its sensible financial advice, you would own a lot of gold. But it may not stop there. Senator Elizabeth Warren says we should pay reparations to gay Americans for the years they were denied marital tax benefits. Those are comparatively small sums. So are the sums paid to Japanese Americans, German Americans, and others interred during World War II. But if we're going to pay reparations for slavery, for example, shouldn't we also pay it for the young men conscripted and sent off to die to end it? Uh, using similar math, the, that may come to another $750 billion. The first one on just reparations for African Americans is over $1 trillion. Some 360,000 young men died fighting for the Union in the Civil War, many under the most appalling conditions. A young male slave was valued at around $1,500 in 1860. Why should these soldiers be worth any less? And have we paid full reparations to the families of those who were sent off to other wars and never came back? Sure, some of them were uh, wars of national defense, but we can argue Vietnam, we can argue Korea, we can argue Iraq. You could argue we also ought to compensate all those abroad who wrongfully suffered from our foreign and military policies over the years. Few would today defend the invasion of Iraq, and even fewer would say the aftermath was handled competently. What about the terrible sufferings of the Vietnamese and the Cambodians from the 60s and the 70s? I'm not sure we shouldn't also pay reparations to the Mexicans for taking California and most of the Southwest. This is going to be a lot of checks. (laughs) Naturally, the government doesn't pay for anything. The government doesn't have any money. It's actually $22 trillion in debt. So the money will come from us, the taxpayer. Reparations have sometimes been paid in the past to the direct victims of the injustice. That's the important part of that argument. The direct victims of the injustice. That's when when they paid. When they paid... On the Japanese Americans that were interred, they ended up paying the direct descendants of that injustice. Some of you may wonder why people today should pay reparations for things they didn't do, which have nothing to do with them, and which ended more than 150 years ago. Why should person A pay person B for appalling way person C treated person D? (laughs) 
This issue was addressed briefly by author Tanashi Coates, the prophet of reparations, when he started the ball rolling five years ago. Oh, this has been going on longer than five years. I mean, that, now the, the writer is wrong there. This has been going on. I heard this back when I was in high school. Yep, yep. All yep. right, that's 71. And everybody, when it was brought up then, everybody just laughed because it was such a ludicrous concept. But now, in the society that we live, where everybody's guilty of everything, and, just and, be, you, and now because just your skin color, you're guilty. And it's all about money. Yeah. If you pay money or say, I'm sorry, it's all okay. So uh, he said, one cannot escape the question by hand-waving at the past, disavowing the acts of one man's ancestors, nor by citing a recent date of ancestral immigration. Why not? My parents came to this country in the 50s. What's this have to do with me anyway? A nation outlives its generations, he says, adding that if we honor George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, we therefore need to write checks to the descendants of their slaves. Well, you can't argue with that kind of logic, now can you? you can. (laughs) What if I don't honor these people? Do I get an exemption? (laughs) A slightly stronger argument may be that the big economic gap between median white and black families today qualifies the legacy of injustice. The median black household incomes, uh, income is $28,000 less than that of the median white household, and their median net worth is just one-tenth as much. But we are, of course, ignoring all the other injustices around, like newborn babies face unequal odds, sometimes grossly unequal odds when they are born for many unfair reasons. Why should some injustices be okay and others not? Why would we compensate the victims of some in life and not of others? You could argue the logical conclusion of this thinking is equality of income. Make of it what you will. Meanwhile, here's a prediction. Sure, reparations talk probably isn't going anywhere. But if it did, the bill would be paid by people in the former union, not those in the former slave-owning confederacy. Dixie has been living off the Union ever since Appomattox. Why should anything change? Anyway, it's a great opinion piece. But just to, I'm just telling you, this whole thing about reparations is going to be strongly pushed in the House. I will not be surprised if the House does not pass a bill. Oh, for reparations, why? Of course they will. Because they can. Of right course now. they will. Never mind that they know full well. It for won't. all of you who voted for any kind of Democrat, because they can, because ignorant people like yourself voted for them. Just say it. Just say it. You vote for Democrats. I got to believe you're ignorant. Surely you would not stand behind the programs that that party, you know, pushes forward, killing babies and. All the rest of yeah, the Yeah, where are the reparations for the unborn children that were deprived of who their lives? Who do you lives? pay it to? To the mother who yeah. killed the child? Yeah. I mean, what do I you mean, do seriously. for that? I mean, seriously. You know, you're going to... I have a real problem with everything has to be money. 
It either has to go to court or it has to be money to be resolved. What is wrong with us that we can't resolve these things in other ways? Okay. Yeah, it sounds kind of silly, but, you know, this is the I'll take my corner, you take your corner, we're going to fight it out, we'll go to court, or I'll force you to pay. What what does that do for anybody? That does not resolve the problem, and forcing people to do things with this type of economic, uh, uh, you know, strong-arming is not the way to make it change. I got to think that I've got some kind of economic payment coming then, because, you know, we were indentured servants when we came to this country you know my ancestors were come to think of it <laughs> I mean, we came under the auspices well you let us come we'll work for you for 10 years and the Ellswick's worked i don't know who the guy's name was or the family's name was but we worked for them for 10 years and they let us go after it was over with they kept their part of the bargain then then half of the family moved to West Virginia and the other half, or back then, West Virginia, and then they moved to, the other half moved to Texas, just so you know. And where where did you come from? Came from uh, over in England. England. And Saxons. We were Saxons. My marital family, my birth family is French, but I married into an Italian family, and in, in Italy, those people have been taken over by... What ten different, <laughs> ten different other people? I want my reparations. Yeah, okay, yeah. I, I was abused. I've got an Italian surname. Hey, you know this is this is just insanity. And again, the focus is on the money. It's not on the issues. It's not on working things out. However, that may be. I'm very disturbed with the fact that every failed problem from the past is being thrown up in our faces now, today, with all this garbage going on with the commotion on the streets and everywhere else. It's like, hey, free-for-all, we're ready to go for everything now. i got a now. question about this. If this country is responsible to pay reparations to the families, no matter how distant, of slaves, can't we sue the countries? of Africa who captured those people and sold them in the, cuz we yeah. we were late to the party that's right i mean we were not come on we're not the only country in the whole well, world but we were in late, we were late to the party this. man the dutch were into it doesn't deep. mean it's okay but we I are mean, not do, the only is, ones is this not a worldwide thing that has to be absolutely done absolutely we so let's go if, after it. i mean if this is the logic that you're going yeah, to let's use let's go after it that your ancestors are, you know, are guilty of all of this, so you got to pay all of it. Hmm. It's going to be interesting. All right, let's get back uh, and talk further in a moment. It's 20 minutes after 6 on a Tuesday. Bible Guys at 7, and uh, Scott Stewart, pastor over at Agape, will be the only Bible guy here today. If you still have a question, Bible Guys at Salem, that's S-A-L-E-M-L-R dot com. Uh, reparations. What do you think? 823-0965. So let me give you the math on just reparations for slavery. Total cost. Get your uh, checkbook out there, Heidi. I'll be asking for your check before I leave today. Uh, $51 trillion. Let me say that again. What's our annual $51 budget? $51 trillion. That's a tripling 
a tripling of the national debt. Just for reparations. Just for African American. If you were to take the African American I mean, we look in here, we got Indians. Elizabeth Warren already saying that you got to pay reparations to yeah. gay people. Um, I'm sure Indians. Yeah, American Indians, German Americans. Uh, we already paid Japanese Americans. I mean, Italian Americans. Yeah, I mean, it's just cra- it's crazy. This whole this whole logic is illogical. If you really look at it, it's illogical. They'll, they can make it sound logical, and still you until you start questioning the logic that they're using, and it's pretty easy to push a pin in their balloon real fast and it makes that sound you know i just i just want someone to explain to me why giving somebody money today no matter what that amount is has anything to do with whatever has happened in the past generations ago i don't understand i'm sorry i don't see how money today makes any damn difference and doesn't change. What about all those millions we've spent over the years on, you know, poverty and inner cities and education and, you know, all these other things that we've done to try to make our they society don't bring that, more they equitable? They don't bring that up, but it is a... a that doesn't that's count. A, that's a good uh, part of an argument when you're talking about reparations. Yeah, now, 51 trillion minus how much? If you're talking about something that has happened in the past as into direct victims that is a different story i mean that's like if you saw you if you were monetarily some, harmed yeah sure that's what i'm saying that's that's a principle of our judicial system but this yes. is not a judi- see back to that it's either judicial or it's money and this is not a judicial issue this is a moral issue it cannot be settled with money or in the courts that's yeah. not the way it works it's foolish it's just like what's going on in the streets right now forcing you know, the white community to kneel and bow down, you will never, ever make permanent change that holds on and and leads us to good outcomes by forcing people and humiliating people. It won't work. If you want to make people bitter, and I mean bitter, (laughs) all you have to do is let people go to an NFL game and stand for the, quote, black national anthem, which I never even knew existed, to be honest with you, the black national anthem, and then have the NFL players take a knee when the national anthem plays. You know, I saw a video. It was very profanity-laden, or I would have brought it to you for the radio. The gal says, you know what? I'm going to buy tickets. I'm going to buy tickets. I'm going to the NFL games. When they play their song, I'm going to take a knee. Let's see what happens then. No. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It might happen. I don't know. Wouldn't that I be can't interesting? Say. Wouldn't it's, that be interesting? I, I, that would be some sort of thing. You're, you are going to propagate division. That's exactly what all this is. You're going to, and it's working. You're going to grow <laughs> uh, division. By the way, now I want to give you some good news because I'm excited. Guess who's coming out of retirement to go on tour? Music. Music. I have no idea. Heidi. Give me Guess. a hint. Give Who us a hint. Who is coming out of retirement <laughs> she- to go back? Yeah, she doesn't even know who this person is, probably. To go back on tour. Give us a hint. I'm excited. Some kind of hint. Started off as a duo, 
ended up as a solo artist. That could be lots of people. Had a famous movie made about her. It's not Cher. No. She never went away. The only ones I can think of are, are men. No, this is a lady. And I can't wait. Duo. Yeah. Karen Carter. Tina Turner. <gasps> really? Yeah. Yay. Tina Tur- She is 80 years old. Yes, she is. She's coming wow. out of retirement. She's going back to the stage. I can't wait. I can't wait that for Tina Turner. Awesome. All right. That, and she was I part saw of the her duo. in her heyday. I want to see her now. We'll take a break. We'll be back. All right, back with you here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Good to be with you on a Tuesday morning. Elizabeth uh, Sotolaro is sitting in the studio as well. You don't see her every day like I talk to her every day. She does a lot for the show that you don't know about. Uh, Anything that you see on my social media, typically uh, she's posting for me. She takes care of all that. I just don't have the time to do all of it. And out of her goodwill, she does it on her own, which is uh, unbelievable for her. Now, I don't know what I would do if she wasn't a you know, part of this show. And I wanted to make sure everybody understood that. And we talk usually two or three times a day, isn't it? At least. Okay. <laughs> Constant texting. And, you know, we, we yell at the sky together. When we see some of this craziness Did that's going that on, story? yeah. Did you read this? <laughs> and we send we we sometimes send stories just because we know it'll make the other person be screaming. <laughs> <laughs> and we know what what touches the button. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah it's always it's a, you got to you know in today's world to get through all this stuff. You got to have your buddies. Yeah, because you I'm really telling do. you, I've had a lot of phone calls and texts in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, you some were telling me people, people just out of the some blue. Some people I haven't heard from in years. And they're like, you know, are you still a conservative? Are you still speaking out? And, you know, I'm going crazy and I got to talk to somebody. And I'm like, you got to find your buddies. You got to find your like minded people. We've got to start speaking up. Uh, yeah, talk about this because you saw the interview on Hannity uh, with McCluskey. Now, this is the guy that's the lawyer there in St. Louis that they came and took his AR 15 because he showed up with his AR 15 in front of his house. After three to five hundred people in a crowd, that's the figures the police gave, had broke down barriers into a gated community, were threatening he and his wife, telling his wife they were going to kill her, uh, telling them they're going to kill their dog, telling them that they were going to be sleeping in their bed uh, that evening and, uh, you know, taking a a bath in their bathroom. And I'm going to tell you what, uh, I would have been out with a with a firearm in my hands if people were on my property and yelling that kind of stuff at me we're we're talking terroristic threatening there that's exactly what that is and and you would feel intimidated there is no way you can't feel intimidated as far as i'm concerned i am surprised someone did not get shot that day you know i've seen several videos and it's really interesting to me that the protesters if you want to call them that never walked on to the lawn of the yard they they stayed on that sidewalk and yet the mccloskeys were in their yard with their guns and there was maybe 10 or 20 feet nobody crossed that line yeah that's the demilitarized yeah nobody crossed that line but you know they didn't do anything wrong and if you hadn't heard yet because if you don't listen every single day 
they did come last Friday night and confiscate uh, the the St. Louis police came to the McCloskey home and confiscated the, the AR fifteen. The the AR fifteen, not the pistol. Now, the pistol that the woman had was a nine millimeter. The their lawyer says it's inoperable, but he's got that saying that it is, of course, evidence, and he's not letting them take it. Well, the other thing he he commented that you know somebody if you used to see this a few years back you know if not now when if not me who yeah. okay that's what he basically said last night is we have to step up to this we have to stand out we have to speak up we have to fight back otherwise we're just going to get taken over i don't know if you saw the photograph of the gate of that oh yeah that's all mangled it's just completely mangled i mean there's no question that they forced their way in yeah and that prosecutor in st louis is after the mccloskeys really there's something really wrong with this picture and i'm all about we've got to fight back we have to speak up now you said that they talked about some of the laws that there are in uh, in Missouri, and that uh, from what I can tell of what you were telling me, sounded to me that Mr. McCloskey feels pretty solid on the ground that he stands. Well, he hopes. Turns out that he is an attorney. He has sued other people in the past, and of course, he has his own attorney now. He he was on Hannity last night, and he said right away. I was told by my attorney that I should not appear tonight on television because I'm told that indictments are coming. Indictments? Indictments. For what? For what? For what? I, I, I can't think of a single thing. Well, like I'm a, like I'm a, are they I'm saying a police officer. Endangerment, but, reckless endangerment or something like that I, because she pointed the pistol at the crowd? I think if that's the charge they bring, there would be a strong argument on the other side for, excuse me, what do you think the other folks were doing? Yeah. You don't think they were recklessly endangering anything here? Mm-hmm. You can't just select one half of an altercation like this and decide arbitrarily like this prosecutor is doing that those people are the ones that are responsible. Well, and, and, and here, Here's the other part of this. You, you hear them talking about this and somebody, I know there's somebody out there they probably wear a red jacket of some type, They're probably mothers against guns or whatever. And they're saying, well, we got to stand up. We can't let people be vigilantes. I can I can hear. Oh, well, this started the, up the last day or two. Okay, Gun I can, violence. Oh I my can gosh. hear the words in people's minds right now. I've been I've been fighting the left for so long. I know what goes on in their itty-bitty minds, their, their IBMs. Here's the key. That, that's what. That is exactly what they are thinking at this time. The narrative right now has to do with our side using our guns to protect ourselves. That's gun violence. What's been going on for how many weeks and how many shootings and how many killings and how many children have been murdered? That's not gun violence. Go figure. That's the new narrative. They started on it yesterday when you started turning on the television. I don't turn on the television much during the day anymore, but as you flip through some of the channels, you can pretty much pick up the topic of the day. It was gun violence yesterday. Not only that, but some of the commentators are now, they're so outraged about all these children that have been killed. Oh, yeah. Their lives count apparently more than adult lives. I suppose that's the way it's coming across. I'm pretty fed up, can you tell? (laughs) Well, I'm fed up with all of it because you can't change. Well, you can. They they do it all the time. The all the time. The left 
changes language. They change arguments, you know. The meanings of the words. Semantics, they change those all the and time. And that's where our censorship starts and where we're heading. I mean, they're already shutting down speech. They're changing the, the meanings of words so that we can't even discuss among ourselves with a common understanding of the language. Now, and here's what the liberals now are finding, because many liberals are not hardcore core leftists. They tend to throw weight or in today's vernacular, throw sunshine on those folks uh, because in some warped way, they think that they have a legitimate uh, argument. But now are finding out that the people who are the leftists, the real hardcore leftists, will eat them too because they, as a liberal, are not as leftist as they feel you have to be. For instance, a good example of this is the left calling on Disney to pull down Hamilton. All right. They got to pull down Ham- and Hamilton. <laughs> Hamilton. I thought it, that was their big favorite yeah, last that's, year. That's I mean, I thought that was their big cudgel their they were strength. using on people. But they say that it needs to be censored because it's not pure enough. I'm just saying it's not pure enough. Just keep that in mind. They will come for you. Halle Berry, how dare you take a part of a transgender uh, person in a movie as an actress when a transgendered person could play the part? Like there's... Mm. That's not acting. Used to be we called that stereotyping. <laughs> And they, they want, you know, you're not supposed to do that. You know, well, they just, I mean, that's the thing that everybody argues about. For instance, John Wayne. All right. John Wayne basically played one character in just about every one of his movies. Now, he broke away from it once in a while, kind of broke away from it in The Quiet Man. All right kind of broke away from it in the Cowboys, did break away from it in the Shootist. But that part of John Wayne that everybody wanted to see, because this is what they paid to see John Wayne be, the the tough, upstanding person that, that kept the law, basically. Uh, he, of course, did that in the Shootist as well. He, he would, would go play that part. I'll tell you who's going to get into that, who's moving into Keanu Reeves with the John Wick movies. Yes. He's made three. He's going to make a fourth. People, when they go see a John Wick movie, they expect a particular character. And it makes him into a stereotypical role at that point. By the way, you know who's going to maybe join him uh, in John Wick 5? Charlize Theron as uh, the Ooh. atomic blonde. That's a possibility. All right. Enough of, of I won't get into the movie part movie of it. Movie trivia. Because I could get into that right now. I'll, and But let me, again, remind you that Tina Turner says she's going back on tour. 
man, I'll buy my tickets as soon as they come. Although I will tell you this, I was going to buy, you're going to love this, Heidi. I was going to buy tickets for my grandson. He's uh, three and a half. By the time the show comes, he'll be three and three quarters. Okay. Uh, And Baby Shark is coming to uh, Simmons Arena. And got to do baby shark. When Eli is at my house, he wants me to talk to Alexa and have Alexa play baby, baby shark, shark and Tyrannosaurus Rex. All right, those are the two big songs right now for him. And I thought, well, you know, I think I might be pretty cool. I'll let my my son-in-law and my daughter take him to go see baby shark. Let me just ask. This is a kid's show, all right? This is a kid's show. How much do you think to sit in row T on the floor to see Baby Shark would cost? Take a, How much do you take to think a, a seat would cost, Heidi? How much do you think a seat would cost? Any guess? I mean, look. 75 I, bucks. How much? 75. I wish... Really? Try a hundred and seventeen dollars per a hundred and seventeen dollars per seat over oh, four hundred dollars with taxes. That's crazy for a child and their two and their and the two adults. I told I told my wife. I, I hate to tell Eli this, but he's probably going to miss Baby Shark, Papa Shark, Grandfather Shark, Mama Shark. So I want to go to that arena that day, and I want to look at all those privileged individuals who can afford to pay a hundred dollars a seat <laughs> for a child show at the. At, that's crazy. Yeah, I'm, well, and that's, that's privilege. That's okay? what I thought. That's privilege. That's How many what people I can afford? You know, I love my grandkids. That's nuts. But I don't love my grandchild enough that I'm going to pay $117. Okay, well, a break. i got to get a break in. It's about 12 minutes till 7. Yeah, that's how much the tickets are. In fact, you get closer, they're a whole lot more expensive. All right, it's Dave Ellswick's show here on 101.1 FM, The Answer. All right, let me uh, give you a heads up. On Saturday, I will be live at 11 o'clock. I'll be live from the Benton... Uh, event center uh, doing uh, an hour from the um, Arkansas GOP state convention uh, to give you uh, the information about what is happening uh, there. Uh, I know I'll get some letters about why don't I do the uh, Democrats. Well, they probably wouldn't want me there. I was going to say, were you invited? (laughs) (laughs) They probably really wouldn't want me there. Theirs is all virtual. I'd be, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Might <laughs> be challenging. Are they? Have they said the national uh, convention is going to be virtual too? That's what I'm hearing. Are they made, have they hearing. made it? You know, I it haven't is. seen. I don't think an official, but everyone's talking as if. Yeah. Well. Anyway, we'll see. We'll see if that what happens course, with them. Now there's rumors about whether or not the Republican convention it's, it's will actually going to happen. Be Look, I saw a big a convention. Saw a big AP story about it on Sunday. And uh, they were opining this, and they were saying that. And I sent a copy of that story to Doyle Webb. Let me read what Doyle Webb said to me. And Doyle Webb What's is our state chairman here in Arkansas for the GOP. And let me find it here. i got to find my last Doyle Webb. There it is right there. 
And he says, I have heard nothing about scrapping the convention and going virtual. It's planned to be three nights, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Monday night welcome event. The perimeter includes the Jaguar Stadium, so I guess it could be moved outside. That's that's the most current thing. They are, are there going to be outside events? Outside for a larger venue to have more people. Now, the president would rather have it inside than outside because you can really stoke up an inside audience to sound like a roaring jet engine, basically. Okay. The thing with that is only the people present actually get to hear it because our leftist media dampens all that down. By the way, hint, if you want to watch it and hear the real sound at a rally, watch it on YouTube and get a direct feed. Or watch C-SPAN. Or watch C-SPAN and get that direct feed because everybody else makes it so that you can. Brian Lamb was a a great man. I've had him on my show. You've heard him. He doesn't do interviews now, but... Bottom line, he said he wanted unfiltered access between the event and the people of this country. He said people of this country can make up their minds, and they do a great job. They really do. It's always a a great coverage of that. Now, afterwards, they have their call in. Call uh, 501-222-6564 if you're a Republican. Well, but they Call have, this other number if you're a Democrat. If you're an independent, call this number. But even still, Dave, when they take those calls, they take one Democrat, one Republican, one Democrat, one Republican. And, then an, and they take an independent. And an independent. They try yeah. to be now, They haven't gotten so screwy as they got a libertarian line and a green, and party. A green party line <laughs> and all the other kind of party it's lines. It's coming. It's but, coming. Uh, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me because well, Brian's oh. not in charge anymore. Well, you just reminded me. That's more reparations. All those people that we've abused their environment all these years. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> those people need to be paid. We have mistreated them. Yeah, get, all those green people. Get ready. Oh, yeah. Reparations, baby. Yeah. Uh, kind of interesting about all of that but uh, according to our state chairman who is the longest serving uh, republican state chairman ever here uh, in arkansas and right now in the united states he says the average life expectancy of most state chairmen is about 18 months at the most maybe especially today going to be like 10 years when you know doyle's done and he is one of the big wig uh, uh, lawyers for the Republican convention as well. He wanted to sue North Carolina. I was all for him. They should have. They should have. <laughs> did you hear how much money they lost? On no, that? they lost a ton. Five million dollars. North Carolina kept with no recourse. Yeah. Mm. Unbelievable. That's like Minnesota. All right. <laughs> Minneapolis. We'll talk about that in the 8 o'clock hour on Facebook at 6 o'clock tonight if you want to listen to it on the radio or sometime after 10 o'clock if you want to listen to it on the uh, podcast. Elizabeth will be back. Coming up, Scott Stewart, pastor over at uh, Agape Church, will join us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Bible Guys are next.
guys that's here steve hess had to work and uh, billy miller is out on vacation so they won't join us today but scott stewart the pastor of agape church is here today and will be with us until the top of uh, the hour so until eight o'clock he'll join us here on uh, the dave ellswick uh, show this is the way we started off dave it's it is the you. way we started it's you and me mm-hmm. it's the way that it, it, uh, it just feels right it, I was, pass- me. I was passing by the uh, uh, the old studio uh, off of um, Chanel the other day, yeah. and I thought, I remembered the, your inaugural show, uh, you asked me to come in to pray a dedication over that, yeah. so I came in for that first that first show, and uh, you had... Now, we're talking when I was on was 96.5. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. 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 How long ago has that been now? It's been almost six years. What? Oh, my Is that amazing? It's amazing. Now I've wow. been I have been in Little Rock and we'll celebrate this coming up on Labor Day. It will be twenty years on Labor Day. Wow. And I've been here in, in Little Rock. And I'm I'm really kind of a bizarre case because well, we talk all, show we hosts don't day. typically yeah. <laughs> talk show hosts don't typically stay in in uh, the market for, for twenty years because before I was here I was in Oh, let's see. Grand Forks. I was in. Where's that? Uh, North Dakota. North Dakota. I right. was uh, in uh, Indianapolis, Indiana. I was in Miami, Florida. I was wow. in uh, Texas. Uh, so I've been all over the place. You know, people say, "Well, how is it working in radio?" And you, because of consolidation, uh, you go where the job is. That's just the way it always works. Right. You right. just got to go. And from North I, Dakota I have, to Florida, that's a big swing. Now, I had a had a person ask me one time. They were going to get married, and but they wanted to be a, a television anchor, and they were going to get married. And they, go, and they said, "Well, what would you tell me I should do?" And I said, "Well, you can either have a marriage, or you can have a career." Uh huh. <laughs> It is kind of one or the other, because I'm going to tell you right now, um, the media is a hard mistress Mm. because it really is kind of like that. My wife gets angry at me at times because I'm always watching news. I'm always staying up on what's going on. She says, why do you do that? And I go, because it's my job. Job. (laughs) And she says, well, you think more of your listeners than you think of me. I said, you know that that's not true. Mm-hmm. I know that you're saying that, but you yeah. know that that's not true mm-hmm. because I didn't buy a swimming pool for every one of my listeners. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I heard something the other day I thought was quite surprising. I'd heard, you know, that, uh, you know, you know, most people who know Sean Hannity would say he's more or less just a, a boy scout. But mm-hmm. I heard his marriage fell apart. Yes, it did. And it was because of his of his work. Yep. Yeah. The sad. exact same. Very it sad. is a terrible mistress mm-hmm. and it may be because of his work but if you saw mr st louis the fellow mark mccloskey with the ar-15 was on hannity last night i take that back 
it was Roger Stone was on Hannity last night. No, because Roger this is Stone. the point of okay. what I was going to bring up. Roger Stone on Hannity last night said, Hannity, because of you telling me that I need to turn my life over to Jesus, that's why really? I've been commuted. That's why wow. I'm sitting where I'm sitting today. And let me wow. just say, let me say something me about that, that. And I've done it. Huh. I'm, you hear it in my voice. Yeah. I was knocked out. Because yeah. of the way our culture is and our laws are, you can be the strongest Christian around and you can't stop a divorce. Mm. It's no fault. Yeah. If somebody wants out, they can get out. Didn't in the past you used to have to have a, a reason? Yes. You, yeah. And you used to have to prove it in court. It now, was really now irreconcilable mm, differences. What does that mean? Yeah. Well, this is why it's so important. You just don't like you, each other. Or somebody, you know, you, you, you found yourself a pool boy or you found yourself mm. a, a, a trophy wife. I mean, seriously. Right. Right. What it's become anymore. Yeah. It really has. All right. Well, let's get to the. Sure. Now we're getting we're getting too close to the rubber hitting the road here. All right, let's let's talk about this. I'm wondering, says our writer, if you could speak about how people were filled with the Holy Spirit in the Bible. I've heard a lot of testimonies from people, but I was wondering how that lined up with scriptural experiences. So, with that, it's all up to you, Scott. To, okay, to cut through the the mud. Yeah. Well. Um Right. There's there's lots of experiences. I don't know which what experiences you've heard about, but uh, the the Bible doesn't give us one way. There there are many ways that it uh, that it happens. I'm going to read one of them, but I'll just tell you the other ones. Uh, we know on the day of Pentecost, the Bible says that they were that they were in the upper room and they were praying, and the Holy Spirit just fell on them. Uh, so that was kind of a spontaneous thing that uh, that happened there. Um, there was uh, another time where people, whenever if you remember Cornelius, um, he was the first Gentile, non-Jew that was uh, saved. Peter goes to his house, and the Bible says, as he was speaking, the Holy Spirit fell on them. So uh, there are those who are just hearing the word and were spontaneously filled with the Holy Spirit. There were the time in the upper room on the day of Pentecost where people were filled with the Holy Spirit when they were praying. So you have in prayer, people were filled with the Spirit when they were under the influence of the Scripture or the Word. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And then here's another time. This is one I was going to read to you. Uh, this one is from um, the book of Acts, chapter 19. And um, Paul, um, he uh, he's traveling. And um, in verse 1, it says, And it happened while they were the, while Apollos was at Corinth, and that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, of, came to Ephesus. So he's in Ephesus. He says, Finding certain disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Uh, and they said, We haven't even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. So here's people who are already believers but hadn't heard about the Holy Spirit and um, and he has a conversation with them, and then the Bible says um, this. It says, uh, and when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. And now the men were twelve in all. So here you have a, an example where the Apostle Paul actually talks to them about their faith, talks to them about the, the Word of God. Then he actually lays hands on them, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. So. So, and right before he lays hands on them, you see they were actually baptized um, in water. So, because before that he says they were baptized with John. So, these people are, are believers, but they're not filled with the Holy Spirit. They're baptized in water, yet they don't are not filled with the Spirit. Then Paul lays hands on them, and they are filled with the Spirit. So, there's a many different ways where people are actually filled with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of the gifts that come forward. That could be through um, spontaneously as you're in prayer. It can be when someone's preaching the Word. It can be when someone lays hands on you. In each case, you need to have a willing heart that wants this and wants to accept this. And just as a, an anecdotal uh, thing, just something to add to this, my father-in-law, 
Uh, my wife and uh, her family were living in Brazil, and he was a um, very much involved with full gospel businessmen and just really was hungry for the things of God. And he'd gotten a little book um, written by a man named uh, John Osteen, who is the father of uh, Joel Osteen. Uh, and um, John uh, was very much a, of a Holy Ghost uh, type uh, preacher. And he had this little book, and he was sitting in a hotel room reading this little book about being filled with the Spirit. And he was he was filled with the Spirit in his hotel room from reading this little book. So I would just say that if if you're hungry for the things of the Spirit and you you pour your heart out to God uh, in your moment, if you don't have anybody there to pray for you, uh, you just call it to God, ask him to fill you with the Spirit, and he'll he'll make that happen for you. All right. Just for our listeners that are out there who are of denominations that mm-hmm. don't believe in speaking in, in, in tongues or speaking in angelic languages or speaking uh, in a foreign language, for that matter, because uh, when I talk, when I think about uh, Peter talking to the centurion, I don't know if it was angelic or if Peter just started talking in in Roman, basically, you know, the Cornelius, yeah. uh, so that he understood everything right. that was mm-hmm. being said. But the bottom line is, is that it did happen. I think it still does occur. However, uh, there's a bone of contention. Sometimes there are denominations to say that if you don't speak in uh, a heavenly language that you've not been saved. Right. I don't believe that for no. a moment. And well, here Paul even says, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And yeah. we know that if you believe in the Lord, then you're saved. So so the, the baptism of the Spirit is, is seemingly a subsequent act of, um, of the plan of sanctification or salvation, but, but it is not the... Uh, it's not the proof of your salvation, which a lot of people like to see it as the as the proof. But it's not the proof of your salvation. Your faith is the proof of your salvation. But the baptism of the Spirit is um, is all throughout the Scripture that it happens. And if we believe that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and He doesn't change, that as He was, so is He, and what He used to do, He still does. Then He still fills people with the Holy Spirit. Um, and we see it happening all throughout uh, uh, the the Book of Acts and, and throughout the epistles as well. So um, there is no change in that. What changes is people's doctrine. Uh, most of these people who no longer believe in the infilling of the Spirit also have rejected um, the existence of apostles, existence of prophets. They've rejected the the, uh, the fact that God wants to heal people. I mean, they've rejected a lot of things, not just that. That seems to be kind of the big hang-up, but it leads to a lot of other things they have rejected, unfortunately. And most of these churches also buy into replacement theology uh, as well. So there's a, there's a lot of kind of roots and tentacles that go into lots of other things, but uh, – but um, um, I mean, I was—I used to be a part of a denomination that didn't believe in the infilling of the Holy Spirit. I was Southern Baptist; they didn't believe it. Yeah, yeah. In fact, they had—they had a hard time saying back in the in the day. They said Holy Ghost. Well, they had a hard time getting yeah. that out. I'm just <laughs> yeah. saying. And, and most of the denominations who don't believe it they go to a verse of Scripture, and it, it said that, that they quote that says, "Where there are our, our tongues, they will cease. Where there are prophecies, they will fail. Where there's knowledge, it shall be done away." Actually, Sarsa says, "When that which is perfect is come." Where there's tongues, they'll cease. Prophecies will fail. And, and so. in that, what what does it mean when it says when that is perfect has come? Right. They tell you that it's the King James Bible. It's a translation of the Scripture. But what they don't, I mean, they don't follow it through because it says where there's prophecy, where there's tongues, they'll cease. And they say, okay, so when that which is perfect has come, tongue cease. The next part says prophecy cease. But then the following part of the verse says where there's knowledge, it vanishes away. So do they know anything? <laughs> I mean, if you if you're going to believe one and two but not three then then you are um then you're being a little bit on the hypocritical side so if you don't have tongues or prophecy and guess what you don't have knowledge anymore no this is talking about when the lord returns perfection arrives then all these things will be 
not necessary. And the knowledge we have of this earthly world is all passed away, and we're fully consumed in the, in the presence of God. So, I got to believe it. Yeah, it's when Christ returns. Absolutely. Yeah. And sets up his And kingdom. it's not the King James Bible, because look, the King James Bible was, was given to us in 1611, but there were translations before the King James. And also the, the version the King James people have in their hands right now is not the 1611. It's like, uh, I forget, it's like the 1727 or something like that. So it's, it's not even, the, it's, it's a ridiculous argument. These people are called Ruckmanites. Uh, a Ruckmanite is someone who, is, who basically believes. That's the first time I heard that, Ruckmanite. A Ruckmanite, okay. yeah. So these are people who exclusively believe in the authority of the King James Bible. You can see some churches, especially on the East Coast, it'll have the name of the church, and then underneath it, it'll say KJV only. And these are people who are Ruckmanites who believe that the King James is the inspired version of the Scripture, and anything else is a uh, a derivative or is uh, not apostate, but certainly is not uh, is not of God, not, not something so God has sanctioned. That, they feel that way about the Hebrew Scripture. Well, that's that's the whole point. I'm just saying <laughs> you've, got, you know. you've got to think this thing through. There was something that existed before the that's uh, right. the, the translation. Yeah, so absolutely. All right, we got more coming your way. Don't feel about PI roofing. They will take good care of your roof. They will fix it for you. You know, they don't work on roofs. They fix roofs, as I to take a paraphrase from the folks over at, uh, you know, Bumper to Bumper. Uh, they'll get out, walk your roof. They'll find the soft spots maybe that are there in uh, the uh, uh, the wood underneath the, uh, you know, the, the shingles that you have. And uh, the I'm trying to think the uh, – I can't think of the word now. There's another part of the roof that – uh, could co- can cause problems as well, but just remember that they are the professionals in this. They've been the the roof leak detectives since they began. That's what they're good at. They're good at finding the problems on your roof. And if you need a new roof, uh, look to work with your uh, insurance uh, appraiser and show him why you need a new roof. If you just need new shingles, they'll show you that. If, if uh, if they got to tear it all the way down to the studs, they'll tell them that as well. I just can tell you that most uh, insurance appraisers I've ever ta- I've talked to say they trust the specialist over at PI Roofing. All you have to do is call them. They're going to do the social distancing and all that. You don't have to get close to anybody. Uh, bottom line, you just call seven zero seven thirty five fifty one. That's seven zero seven. 3551 or you can go visit them on the website at piroofing.com but when we come back what steps can you take to make sure you're praying correctly that is a question for scott stewart pastor of agape when we return with the bible guy here on the dave Ellswick show all right we got uh, scott stewart here from agape church we're back to the uh what do they call it? Uh, was a stripped down version of, of uh, the Bible guys? The Bible guys. What yeah. Bible guys? What, what do they call it when you just play the the guitars? You don't have your whole band there. Acoustic. acoustic. The acoustic version. This yeah. is the acoustic version of uh, the Bible guys. Well, I'm, I'm the concentrate. You know how it is. You have that. There uh, you like, go. Yeah. So oh, instead, yeah. what you do is, but you're not frozen concentrate. I'm not frozen concentrate. Just a few drops will do it. Yeah. <laughs> this is the concentrated version. Okay. So here's the question: the other guys what, just what, dilute what step me can I around. take? What step can I take to make sure I am praying correctly? I've done a lot of praying in my day, but not seen as much answered prayer as I would like. Thank you. Oh, that's a good question. Um, right. Well, normally I would I would ask a person 
who's at, who's questioning me like that, I would ask them to um, more or less um, tell me how they pray so I could kind of diagnose, diagnose what they're, what they're doing. But um, let me just give you a very, a few basic uh, points. Um, really good. Uh, well, first of all, you need to make sure that your prayer is directed in the right way. Uh, actually the book of James says this, he says, he says, when you ask, you don't receive because when you ask, you ask amiss uh, that, that you might heap it upon your own lust. So in other words, uh, you can ask amiss, you can ask, in other words, it's not that your prayer might be wrong, but the motivation behind your prayer can be wrong and it causes you to miss the target. So you need to make sure that your motivation for what you're praying for is correct. So you need to check your heart to make sure that this is not a, just a, just a selfish, um, uh, motivation. So you're praying, uh, and what you believe is important in your heart and not just what your flesh wants. So you need to make sure that your motivation is correct. Uh, number two, you need to make sure you're praying to the right, um, the right person of the Godhead. Um, a lot of people, and I've seen this as a pastor, this is one thing that we have really drilled our children's ministry with. A lot of times I've seen, especially with children's church, uh, people will, especially those who are working with the kids, will have them pray prayers like, pray this. And they'll say, dear Jesus, and they'll pray. But Jesus said, don't do that. He said, okay, I'm going to leave. Now, this is when I leave. He said, when I leave, he said, you won't ask me anything, but you'll pray to the Father in my name, mm-hmm. and then I would do it. So basically, the Lord Jesus said, okay, this is the way you pray. You pray to the Father in my name, but you don't pray to him. And there's there's defined um, there's a defined working within the Godhead. So it's like, for example, <clears throat> there were, remember whenever the, um, the, um, the apostles, a couple of the apostles came to Jesus, and they said, grant that one of us sit on your right hand and one of us sit on your left hand. And Jesus' response is, that's not mine to give. That's the Father's to decide. But I thought Jesus and the Father were one. They are. But they have definite functions within the Godhead. Uh, in the book of Corinthians, it says about, the, about there's nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says there that the Holy Spirit gives those out as he wills. So mm-hmm. it's not the Father who gives out the gifts of the Spirit. It's the Spirit who wills that. But So there's a definitely function within the Godhead. We know the Bible also says that, that God is the head of Christ just as man is the head of woman. So so there is a, a an order within the Godhead. So if you're going to be praying, you have to pray. You pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. So make sure that you're praying correctly. So you're not praying to Jesus. You're praying to the Father in his name. So you get your motivation right, and you get your direction of your prayer correctly. And then I would also encourage you, there's an example. Go to uh, Acts chapter 4. There's a prayer there at Acts 4, and it's right after the apostles are being persecuted being whipped and scourged and forbidden to pray in the name of or forbidden to preach in the name of Jesus. And the apostles begin to pray and they pray a prayer. I just talked about this yesterday. They taught our prayers, 143 word prayer. And of that 143 word prayer, only six words were dedicated to the problem. The first part of the prayer starts off by extolling God and saying how wonderful God is and his great creation, his great power. Then from that, it goes into quoting the scripture, sorry, quoting the word, and he quotes the word, and then he begins to talk about uh, what God has done and how God has done things. So it's extolling God again. And then it only mentions uh, six words about the problem. Then it goes right back into then praying out the solution. So just make sure that when you're in prayer that you – the Bible says to make sure you lift up your prayers unto God with thanksgiving, that you bake into it thanksgiving and appreciation. Spend most of your time talking about what God is, who God is, what God can do. And make sure that the problem, although you need to mention it, is not the dominant focus of your of your prayer. 
So, I mean, that's that's a very general without knowing exactly how this person is praying. But just make sure that your motivation is right, your direction of your prayer is right, and that you, when you pray it, you make sure that you pray it with prayer and thanksgiving. Even Jesus said this. This is the way you should pray. He said, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. So he begins extolling God and lifting up God, praising and hallowing his name before he gets into the actual prayer itself. All right. Got to get a break. Rush is up, and then we come back with more uh, with uh, Pastor Scott Stewart. All right, we're back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. The Bible guy is here. Billy Miller is on vacation. He's close enough by that he's listening listening, because he he sent an answer to uh, uh, Pastor Steve when he said, LOL, concentrate, huh? (laughs) Uh, Steve is working or supposed to be working. I don't know. He may be listening. And uh, they'll all be back here in the next couple of weeks to join us here on the Bible Guys. Dear Bible Guys, I was wondering about the comment Jesus makes in the book of Revelation when he says that he's the Alpha and Omega. Why would he use the Greek letters if he was a Hebrew speaker like you guys seem to think? Mm-hmm. Well, um, well, he, he didn't use Greek letters. This is, uh, this is a Greek rendering of uh, what he said in Hebrew. It would have been very much like... Um, um, whenever I mean, you have to remember that, that John is um, John is Jewish. Uh, he's a Hebrew, so when Jesus spoke to him, it would have been written in Hebrew um, originally. Uh, this is just the uh, Greek rendition, the Greek text that we have. Um, as a matter of fact, the most Hebrew by most Hebraic book in the entire Bible is the Book of Revelation. Um, it's obvious the book was written in Hebrew uh, originally, given gone from that into Aramaic, Aramaic into Greek, and then Greek finally into English. Um, so, so what we have is the English translation of the Greek text, but that doesn't mean that it was originally in Greek in the first place. It just means that's the, that's the source material that we're using for it. So he would have spoken to him in, um, in Hebrew and Hebrew, the phrase is Aleph and Tav, which is the first and last, uh, letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And, um, so yeah, it wouldn't have been in Greek originally. No. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I read the, the question, I, I read all the questions and, and, and I thought, well, that's a pretty easy one to yeah. answer. I mean, seriously, if you thought, really thought about it a moment, yeah. I think uh, the Holy Spirit would have yeah. helped you figure yeah, that one sure. out. For sure. But the last sentence of this question is really important. Mm-hmm. Also, does that phrase mean anything special? Yeah. And it sure does. Yeah, it does. Right. Well, the uh, um, obviously you have the uh, the most overt meeting, and uh, Aleph and Tav is the first and the last letter of the uh, alphabet. Alpha and Omega are the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet, uh, which means so it would be A to Z. A to Z in English. Yeah. And he, God is he's the beginning and he's the uh, he's the end. You know, he's the beginning of the matter and he is the end of the matter. Uh, he was there in the beginning. He's going to be here in the uh, in the ending. However, just uh, taking a little bit deeper, the phrase Aleph and Tav. Uh, or Alpha and Omega in the Greek is uh, is very very um, Hebraic because um, the rabbis for centuries and centuries uh, have said that God is the Alpha. I'm going to say they would say God is the Aleph and the Tav, uh, but they also would. But they said it. If you take it back even further, uh, it's like they used to say God is the Aleph, the Mem, and the Tav. Uh, the Aleph is the last letter. The Tav is the um, I'm sorry, the Aleph is the first letter, Tav is the last number, letter Mem 
is a letter that is uh, not exactly but close to being in the middle. Uh, but then it became known as Aleph and Tav. And the reason why they said God was the Aleph, the Mem, and the Tav uh, is because the, those three letters in Hebrew, Aleph, Mem, and Tav, spell a word. And that word is Emet. And it, is, it means truth. And of course, so then they would say Aleph and Tav, shortened version of the Emmet. So when he says Aleph and Tav, he's saying that he is the truth. And we know that Jesus is uh, totally the um, totally the truth. So I love that. Yeah. Because everybody always asks now, what is the truth, Dave? It's Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> you sure you? Yeah. I'm the way, the truth, truth and, and the, the truth. Life. The truth. And the life. All you right. know, when he said that, just a quick little example. When he said that, there were three, there were three you know, you remember how the temple was set up. You had you had the outer court, you had the inner court, and you had the Holy of Holies, the way the temple right. was structured. Well, the door going into the outer court was called the way. The door going into the inner court was called the truth, and the door that went into the Holy of Holies was called the life. Mm-hmm. So when he's standing there and he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, he was telling this to the people looking, I'm every doorway you need into the very presence of God itself. So the people standing there knowing the temple structure understood a much bigger point he was trying to make. And that is that's I'm, really and, good. Now that's a point everybody would be well given to remember. Yeah, because yeah. it really makes that scripture dance. It as does, as far as I'm concerned. And everything he said was like that. You know, if you put him in, you know, if you put him in location, and then you look at the words he said in location, they mean so much. Uh, and in so much more in Hebraic thought. The, absolutely, that's why it's so important for us to understand. What he said in Hebraic thought. That's correct. That's correct. Most everybody wants to be understood. When they say something, they say they want to say, "Well, don't take me out of context. Understand what I'm saying." And you say that in your regular everyday life. How much more truth personified needs to be understood in his context, not be taken out of context in his geography and his culture? That's really cool. Isn't that cool? That is awesome. It re- I won't forget that one. Yeah. Well, praise God. That, that's in there. That's what my... happens when you get the concentrated version of the Bible, guys. Yeah. Because if you would have had the diluted <laughs> version, if you had the diluted version of the Bible, guys, it probably would have got. To, uh, you would have had the else. Steve Chase Rabbit <laughs> version. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right. Question for you. This is a good question. It really, really is. If you if you think about it a little bit, how do I choose who to vote for? Oh. In this upcoming presidential election, or any election for that matter, I seem to be so disappointed every election cycle after those elected seem to fall short, so short of the promises that were made. Is not voting at all an option from a Christian perspective? A perspective. Hmm. That's a good question. Yeah, especially now that we're coming up in an election year. Um, the first part of that was what again was they said uh, how do i choose who to oh, vote right. for he said i seem to be so disappointed every election cycle after those elected seem to fall so short mm-hmm. of the promises that were made is not voting at all an option from a christian perspective right well um one thing you have to remember that whenever you're voting for a uh for a leader, um, obviously you're not voting for a pastor. So the person that you're voting for is not going to be necessarily a, a great spiritual leader. Um, and you have different rules. God had different criteria for those leading the, the kingdom and those that would be his priests, those that would be his prophets. So there's different criteria for them. So, um, But I would say that you need to make sure that whoever you're voting for, well, if you look at 
let's just say you're looking at two candidates. The way you, you're going to judge this situation is the only way you can judge it as a believer, and that's using the Word of God. So which one of these people uh, that you're going to be looking at is going to be closer to what you believe as a Christian or closer to what the Scriptures have to say? So the Bible becomes then uh, more or less your, your plumb line. You have a plumb line that's hanging. It's the Scripture. And which one of these people is going to be closest to it? Neither one of them are going to be perfect. Uh, and so they you, can't be. They can't be. So you, you can't look for perfection. So you know, let you know, take that away right away. Uh, and you can't look at the outward appearance. Um, you know, you can't say, well, that one has is more attractive than that one, or that one is 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 uh, it looks more like looks more presidential than that one looks presidential. If I'm not mistaken, didn't they say that Abraham Lincoln? They wrote that he was basically a buffoon. He he, his English was horrible. He spoke poorly. He you know they they thought the papers just. You know, basically destroyed the man. They said he physically he was not attractive. He was tall. He was. I mean, they. If you look, big nose. Yeah, if you just look physically, you can't. So you know, get rid of all the flesh. Get rid of all the natural carnal stuff, and you look at what is the heart of the party, or what's the heart of the the agenda, the policies. And so you use the scripture as a plumb line to judge between the uh, judge between the two. And then, of course, you have to pray and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. But know this: the Holy Spirit is not going to lead you in contrary to His scripture, contrary to His word. The scripture, the Holy Spirit's going to lead you in concert with the Word of God. So, the the scripture has to be used as a plumb line for what you uh, for what you decide. All right. Last part of this question. Now for something spiritual. Mm-hmm. What you asked before was spiritual. Yeah. All right. Uh, the Bible tells us to pray for our leaders, mm-hmm. but how do we do that when all we want is for them to leave office? <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's true. The scripture says that we should pray for all those that are in authority. Uh, and then it lists, it says, and for kings and so forth. It gives a long list of things how you should pray for. But the, but, the, but the bottom part of that verse is important. It says that we might live a quiet and peaceable life. So when you're praying for your leaders, you are, in essence, praying for yourself uh, and how you're wanting the society to run. Um, so uh, the best way to pray for the leaders uh, is not to pray out of your own, your own will, uh, not to pray your will onto somebody or your own preference. The best way to pray for a leader is to be praying the word of God over them. The Bible, God actually says, put me in remembrance of my word. So God wants you to remind him of his word. So what you do is you pray the word of God on that person. So you take a scripture that you that you find in the word um, that is uh, important to leadership, and you pray. There's a great little book printed years ago. Called, it's called God God's Promises. And basically it's a book that... Its chapters are basically all the scriptures on healing, all the scriptures on joy, all the scriptures on prosperity, all, all the scriptures of the major topics. And so I would encourage you to get a book like that, find a, a chapter on leadership, and begin to pray those things uh, things out over your leadership. We want leaders who are men of, of conviction and righteousness. So you, so you begin to pray out verses of scripture over your leaders that deal with righteousness or righteous judgment and things of that nature. So once again, use the word to choose your, your candidate you're going to vote for. Use the word of God, the way to pray over them. And if you're already filled with the spirit, I would encourage you to pray in the spirit over, over, these, um, over these people as well. Because the Bible says that when you pray in the Holy Spirit, you're praying out the perfect will of God. And so that will be covering that as, as well. All right. We got to get our final break in. And then when we uh, come back, final question for Pastor Stewart today, dealing with racial strife in our country. Very, very uh, poignant question coming up here on the Dave Ellswick Show. 
$287,619. What would you do with an extra $287,619? That's a lot of money. It's a lot of dollar bills. What would you do in retirement with that? Just think about it for a moment. Well, that's how much a Little Rock couple could save in taxes with their IRA and 401k. Thanks, uh, thanks to the tax planning strategies from David Lucas Financial right here in Little Rock. Learn exactly how much money you could save with a free retirement tax analysis. If uh, you've saved more than $250,000, be one of the first 10 callers to schedule your free analysis now at 501-222-3315. Do you have an IRA or 401k? I mean, do you know? Some people don't even know. Uh, Find out if you do. Then learn how much money it taxes that you could save by calling 501-222-3315. That's 501-222-3315. Investment advisory uh, services offered through David Lucas Financial and Arkansas Registered Investment Advisor. All right, back for the last segment here of the Bible, guys, for this Tuesday. It's gone very fast. Uh, let me give you the question here that I have, the last question of the day here. i got to get back to it. And this is what it says. Uh, it says, I'm, I was listening to your show, Mr. Ellswick, this morning, and you were talking about the current racial issue facing our country. You also mentioned that Dr. Stewart was going to be the only Bible guy on the show uh, today. So could you ask Dr. Stewart to comment on that from a biblical perspective? And let me just say this. I know that he's already done this with his, with his church. Every pastor should be speaking from the word about this issue. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Scott. Amen. Speaking up. Yeah, speaking up, yeah. Um, let me just uh, go ahead and say, uh, if I could quickly mention something, Dave, before I, before yeah, I answer that question. Go ahead. Uh, going back to the previous uh, thing about praying for leaders, um, I mentioned about praying the word over them, but also you can, just as you, as you follow your heart, one thing I do is I always pray that these men just live under, under a conviction of the Holy Spirit. That they are that they are constrained by the love of God. That good uh, counselors are around them. How many kings in the Bible that did God send? He sent prophets to these kings to rebuke them uh, and to hold them in check. And we need to pray that there are people, men of God, women of God, that are sent to these men and are bold enough to rebuke them for their sin and to call them uh, to account before God. So uh, I would encourage you to to pray. Uh, for the convicting power of the Holy Spirit on them, to pray that, that that if they're doing things that are ungodly, signing you know bills and pushing um, abortion or whatever, that they are plagued in the night by dreams and and just be praying out righteousness over these people that they are constrained uh, by the power and the conviction of the Holy Spirit to do what is right. Uh, when you pray for someone, it doesn't always mean you're praying, oh God, uh, bless them and and, and coddle them. It, sometimes when you're praying for someone, it's God. Uh, hold them to account, um, make them miserable in their sin, send prophets to rebuke them. I mean, it, sometimes you have to become aggressive in your in your praying when you deal with righteousness. The Bible actually says to, to be angry and sin not. We can be angry and not sin. And as long as our right, our anger is based in righteousness, then we can uh, then we can walk in that in a righteous indignation. And sometimes we need to pray out to those uh, constraining type prayers. All right. Okay. Racial strife. How yeah, do you some, deal with it from the pulpit? Well, okay. Well, first of all, biblically speaking, the race is a human construct. Um, 
the Bible never mentions this. It never talks about this phrase. It never mentions white people, black people, yellow people, green people. It, God doesn't see us this way. Uh, race in itself, if you look at the etymology of the word race, the word race, how much time do I have, Dave? you got about uh, four and a half okay. minutes. The word three race. Minutes. I mean, till three minutes. The, the word race itself uh, did not exist. Uh, actually, this whole idea of race didn't exist as we know it until Charles Darwin. Before Darwin, race only was applied to animals. So animals were, were classified as races. But because, but because Darwin had the idea that man was nothing more than an animal, he created something called the race of man. So he brought us from a, uh, a, a spiritual God class of being, if you will, down to an animalistic viewpoint. So the whole idea of the race of man came from Charles Darwin. So an atheistic <coughs> evolutionist is the one who gave us our current idea of what race is. But if you biblically put it in, in, in the Bible, the Bible has two races, basically, Jews and Gentiles. That's it. You either were a Jew or you were a Gentile. Every stripe and color or shade of color was put into the Gentile category. So from a biblical perspective, race, as we talk about it today, does not exist within the Scripture. You were either the people of God or you were not the people of God. And that was the way that God actually looked at it. But quickly, if we're going to look at how to deal with race, the quick story, John, uh, John's Gospel, Chapter 6, Jesus goes to a place called Samaria. If you remember the story, Jesus goes to a well. The Bible says he goes to Jacob's well, and he meets a woman at Jacob's well. Everybody's surprised because that was the place of the Samaritans. Now, if the Samaritans, if you don't know, <clears throat> 722 B.C., uh, the Assyrians come in as a judgment of God and take the Jews out of Samaria, and they transplant Assyrians into Samaria. They interbreed with the Jewish people, and basically a new race emerges. And uh, this, so there's the Bible says the lady, the lady at the well says, "You Jews have nothing to do with uh, with Samaritans, and Samaritans have nothing to do with the Jews." So this is a racial issue that has existed for 722 years. Jesus goes there to break the racial barrier. To cross the great divide, and the lady, when she sees him, she says, "What are you doing, a Jew, asking a drink from me?" So, but he didn't tell her he was a Jew. She knew he was a Jew by the way he looked. In other words, you don't look like me. You're a different people. You're a different race. What are you doing talking to me? You're going to put your Jewish lips on my Samaritan cup. Jesus is about to cross the great racial divide and bring unity and harmony to this whole 700 year racial problem. And he met her at a place called Jacob's Well. The Jews hated the Samaritans, the Samaritans hated the Jews, but they both loved them, Jacob. Jacob was that point where they both agreed because the Samaritans had a, the root of, of Jacob. And of course, Jesus was uh, an Israelite, so both of them had a common ancestry in Jacob. And eventually, this woman says, now wait a minute, my people worship at Mount Gerizim, you people worship over here. And Jesus said, there's a time coming. We're not going to meet there or there. It's in spirit and in truth. To fix the racial divide is not there or there, you people, my people. It's in the spirit that this whole problem is going to be solved. And that's the end of our racial difficulty. So it's in God. It's in, it's in Jesus. It's himself. in Jesus. That's right. All right. Scott, thank you very much. Appreciate you being here. Thank we'll you, see you next Tuesday. Uh, that's it for me on the radio right now. I'll be back with you at 6 o'clock. Or stick around on Facebook. We'll be doing an hour on Facebook here on the Dave Ellswick Show.
Back with you on the Dave Ellswick Show. And uh, wanted to let you know that uh, there has been the first federal execution in 17 years has been carried out this morning. Uh, and, and it's been carried out in Terre Haute, Indiana, same place that Timothy McVeigh was put to death. Uh, and that, of course, Daniel Lewis Lee, 47. I bring this up specifically because this uh, has, uh, you know, connections to Arkansas since he tortured and killed an Arkansas family. Uh, that was what, back in 96, 1996, I yep. think, is when it happened. Uh, Daniel Lewis Lee, 47, injected with a lethal dose of phenobarbital at 8.07 just hours after the Supreme Court uh, green-lighted the first federal execution to take place since uh, 2003. Uh, The slayings happened in 96 after Lee and an accomplice robbed and shot William Frederick Mueller, his wife Nancy Ann Mueller, and his eight-year-old stepdaughter, Sarah Elizabeth Powell, here in Arkansas. Mueller was a local gun dealer, and the bodies of him and his family were discovered five months after they went missing with plastic bags covering their heads and sealed with duct tape uh, dumped in an Illinois bayou. Back and forth legal proceedings stalled the execution at the U.S. Penitentiary in Terre Haute. Uh, Hours before he was slated to die, the Supreme Court, in a five-to-four vote, overruled a lower court's order to delay four executions scheduled for July and August. Judge Tanya Chutkin of the U.S. District Court in Washington had issued the preliminary injunction against the execution, citing issues with the lethal injection methods used by the government, but the Supreme Court disagreed. Quote, the government has produced uh, compelling expert Uh, testimony of its own indicating that any pulmonary edema occurs only after the prisoner has died or been rendered fully incident in other words he was out cold didn't know what was going on the u.s court of appeals for the seventh circuit also overturned an injunction put in place last week by a district court after the family of the victim said the coronavirus would pose a health risk to them and prevent them from exercising their right to attend the execution at the prison where several people have been infected with COVID-19. Attorneys for Lee and members of the victim's family have long fought for Lee to get a life sentence and not to be put to death but to no avail. Attorney General William Barr told the Associated Press in recent days that he believes the Bureau of Prisons could carry out these executions without being at risk. The agency has put a number of additional measures in place, including temperature checks and requiring witnesses to wear masks. The execution is the first after the Trump administration announced last year it would be making a return back to capital punishment methods. Two more executions are scheduled this week. Wesley Ira Perkey on Wednesday and Dustin Lee Honkin on Friday. 
A fourth man, Keith Dwayne Nelson, is scheduled to be executed in August. Vandana Rambaran is a reporter covering the news for Fox on this issue. So uh, I guess two more this week then, if if I read that correct, and then another one in August. Well, they didn't waste much time when the Supreme Court, they ruled, I was in the car at 5 a.m. this morning and heard that they had ruled overnight. So it didn't. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, you know, in the movies where they say the guy's standing by the phone. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I thought I heard that the Arkansas family had asked for a delay because they wanted to be present. Well, that's what it says but here. That too. story says they didn't want him executed. They want him to have a life sentence. Well, that, that was true as, as well. That that was the same thing with uh, Gregory Resnover in Indiana. He was the final person put to death in indiana in the electric chair i was there uh for that gregory resnover asked for me to be a witness you were in observation i was i was doing my show i was doing my show live from uh, michigan city indiana from the parking lot of michigan state uh the michigan indiana state penitentiary and went in and observed his execution because he asked me to now he admitted he was guilty of sin. All right. They were trying uh, uh, Ruth, uh, not Ruth Pelkey. I'm, I'm, I'm mixing two stories here, but Resnover was the final one that died. Paula Cooper killed uh, Ruth Pelkey in Gary, Indiana uh, back in the 90s. And the Pelkey family did not want her to be put to death. Now, Paula Cooper was the first teenager ever put on death row in indiana and man i that story is just way too still sensitive for me to sit and talk about it because it makes me so mad i mean i remember the people in italy marching in a candlelight's uh, uh vigil for paula cooper with her picture on their t-shirts no pictures of Ruth Pelkey. Even back then, these yeah. leftists and people that are I mean, anti-law and order were doing what they're doing. I mean, I, I, I remember that. I mean, Ruth Pelkey was stabbed 32 times with a 12-inch butcher knife. Hmm. I got there with Danny Thomas, the coroner, uh, at least 15 minutes before the police got there. And... When they moved her body, Paula Cooper had stabbed her so terribly. (sighs) And so viciously, she had shredded the carpeting under that woman's body. And they fought for her life. Give me a freaking break. This was a Bible teacher. She was teaching them Bible stories when they killed her that way. Unbelievable. Law and order is the only way to a civil society. You may or may not agree with the death penalty. However, the way you change it is through civil procedures, through law, through, you know, conversations, through legislation. You do yeah, not I'm do sorry. it I'm sorry. I got myself streets. together. But that... I can see that as clear as today as I did, what, 93 that had occurred? The people that, in my opinion, the law says 
you know, we've convicted you, you are to be put to death. To me, it is a different is a second crime against the victims when the other side puts forward all these appeals and drags it out indefinitely, indefinitely. Well, I give I, you know, to me that is a different a separate crime. I'll give her her son credit that he didn't ask uh, for the death penalty, but life in prison. My problem with life in prison is that no. life in prison is never just life in prison. No. Ask ask the. Who was it, um, the guy that uh, became a trustee for Governor Huckabee and they, and they pardoned him? He got life in prison. Uh, Tucker. Was it Tucker? Oh, I don't remember. Was that his name? I don't remember, they killed, but you're right. They if killed the, uh, the preacher when he took his uh, car out for a, a drive to see if he wanted to, quote, buy it and then shot the preacher in the head twice. I remember, but I don't remember the name. But that's the thing about once – and I have a real Jimmy problem. something. I have a real problem with the taxpayers having to pay for that individual's subsistence for the rest of our, you know, rest of their lives. I don't think that's appropriate. Once you're put to death, that's the law. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm with you on that, but I just got to tell you, I'm a firm believer in the uh, the death penalty, and I can be kind of ugly about it at times. When she was on death row. Because, look, I was the guy who had that final interview with her as the the pool reporter. And uh, Kimbrough, Judge Kimbrough at the time, let me go in and talk to her. And then I was going to bring out the, you know, the tape and let the rest of the press corps hear it. And I, I asked, my last question to her was, Paula, after all the pain, you know, for the Pelkey family, for your family, uh you know, do you have anything to say about this? And she looked at me and she said, I'd kill the bitch again. That was her last words to me. Mm. Mm, All right, mm, 16 mm, years mm, old. Mm. All right, I didn't have any problem her going down to Marion County to the prison down there to wait on death row. Now, she, you know, uh, I think if I talk to him now, I haven't talked to Evan By in a long time. Um, he used to be, if you said a conservative Democrat, Evan Bayh would his picture would have been next to a a, uh, a well, definition as well, we a call blue dog Democrat you know, in well, Arkansas. Even, they don't even, exist anymore. Even more conservative. All right, more than that. Yeah, and and but he changed too when he ran for Senate and became a senator for Indiana and went to Washington. He had to abide by what the party believed, and and that went against, I know, his principles, and that's why he left. Yeah. He said, that's why I'm leaving. I can't do this anymore. But anyway, uh, uh, Evan uh, gave her a life sentence. All right, so she's still in prison. All right, she hasn't got out. I hope to God that they never let her out. Uh, if I ever think that it's going to be close, I'll be at the parole hearing. All right, I'll be there. What, what year was that, sir? It seems like 93. I, it it's may, been a while. It's, it's been a I long time. I mean, she was time. a teenager then. Yeah. She's oh, easily she's a middle-aged her, woman now. Yeah. Oh, she, or older. Yeah, getting into uh, uh, an aged woman now. See, I always wonder about someone like that on their daily you know, activities, and, and, and they're sitting there all day long. What do they think about? Well, here's the key. 
Does it ever come on their minds? You know, you know, and people say, "Well, they change." Well, maybe so, but they Some change only. They only change because they have to. All right, only because they have to. Tex Watson. Oh. All right, bring him <laughs> up real quick. I got to take a break, but Tex Watson, who was part of the the Manson, Manson family, plan. who was you know implicated in Sharon Tate and Folger and all of them murders. Uh, at, Sharon Tate was an actress who was pregnant seven months when she was murdered. Yeah, and uh, and the La Biancas and, and whatever. But uh, he uh, he's still in prison, and he's never asked for parole. And really? they asked him why, and he says, because of the work that I do here. He got saved, all right? Oh, did he? So now he he works with the uh, the inmates there in the prison. And he says, I have to pay my debt for what I did. Now, I did not know I'm answering, that. I answer to the law. You know, Kerwinkle and all of them they that were change. in there, they all wanted out. Squeaky Fromm and all the rest of she them. She got out. Yeah, well, yeah, she tried to kill Ford, President Ford, and the gun mm-hmm. misfired. Mm-hmm. All right, so we'll take a break, and we'll come back and talk uh, more here on the Dave Ellswick Show. But the first federal execution has been carried out here uh, in the United States at Terre Haute uh, Penitentiary in Terre Haute, Indiana. 20 minutes after, well, somewhere around the hour. I don't know what time it is when you're listening to this, but we'll be back with more. Okay, car- carrying on now. I went back, uh, it was 1993-ish, Three? it looks like. I found out, evidently, Cooper got out. Didn't know, know that she had gotten out. And they're saying that she got out because of international uh, pressure. Not, uh, let me just read <laughs> well, this there you to go. you. Uh, Paula Cooper, a Gary native who at age 16 was the youngest death row inmate in the United States before an international outcry, as I mentioned about the marches in Italy, uh, helped reduce her sentence, killed herself Back on uh, in 2015, I didn't know. Of course. Near an Indianapolis office building. The Indianapolis Metropolitan Police Department said officers were called to the 9500 block of Angola Court near the northwest Indianapolis-Carmel uh, border Tuesday morning in response to a report of a body lying near a tree. The Marion County Coroner's Office confirmed that Cooper who was 45, was pronounced dead at the scene at 7.38 in the morning, Indianapolis time, for a suspected self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. Cooper's death came 30 years and 12 days after she and three friends murdered Ruth Pelkey, a 78-year-old Gary Bible school teacher in Pelkey's Glen Park home. According to records, the teenagers pretended to be interested in taking part in Pelkey's Bible classes to get into the house where Cooper, then 15, ultimately stabbed Pelkey 33 times with a butcher knife. Were they high on drugs? No. Or drunk? No. Just did she, it out of pure meanness? It was hate. It, 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 oh. it, it, was, it, it was just terrible. Good grief. She and the other girls, all students at Gary's Lou Wallace High School, then ransacked the house. Now, this is how much Bruce Pelkey's uh, murder was worth. 
and got away with $10 mm-hmm. in Ruth, uh, Ruth Pilkey's car, which was an old, old beater. Cooper's three accomplices were sentenced to prison terms ranging from 25 to 60 years. But Cooper, who confessed to Pelkey slain, was convicted of murder and sentenced to die in the electric chair. At the time in 19, oh, it's at 86, pardon, we were late 80s, 1986, she was the youngest death row inmate in the United States. The decision to sentence a child to die prompted international uh, criticism and pleas for clemency, including from Pope John Paul II. And see, what business is it of any of those other countries, what our laws are here? Indiana lawmakers in 1987 passed a bill authored by then-Representative Erlene Rogers that raised the death penalty age from 10 to 16. In 1989, the Indiana Supreme Court ruled it unconstitutional to sentence a person younger than age 16 to death in the high uh, court commuted uh, Cooper's sentence to 60 years in prison. To 60 years in prison. And then prison. she got out. Indiana law now requires offenders to be 18 to be put to death. Rogers said Tuesday that she was sorry to hear about the death of Cooper, whom she had not met. If she had, she wouldn't have done anything for her. I'm just telling you. Rogers said she was familiar with the issue of juveniles and the death penalty. The lawmakers didn't realize until Cooper's case came to light that Indiana's death penalty age at the time was 10. Former Indiana Supreme Court Chief Justice Randall Shepard told Rogers that the bill passed in 87 was one reason justices decided to spare Cooper's life. She, You know, even if you spared her life, she should still have gotten life in prison without the benefit of ever getting out. And she got out before 60 years. Easily. She died at 45. She took care of the problem. Yeah, well, she, you know, I, if you have any soul whatsoever, how can you live with that? I think you said 30 years and 12 days beyond. I was just sitting here thinking, I'm wondering if that 30 day or 30 year anniversary came to her mind. It might have. I wonder. It might have. I I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I'm just telling you that. But that's, you say purity hate caused her to do what yes. she did. This fellow that was well, executed greed, this morning. Greed. They thought that she had money. There is no doubt if you if you had followed the trial, and, and nobody that's listening here had, uh, that they thought she had stashed a bunch of money away that was that she was worth that a bunch. That they had every right to get because somebody else had it and they didn't. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, they got $10 in her car. Yeah. And I forget exactly. The car was an old car. I mean, it was not. It doesn't matter. Car. I'm just, no, but I'm just saying that yeah. makes it worse. Yeah, well, you know, that's and, true, they, I guess. and when they left the murder scene, they drove around the high school, showing it off. Oh yeah, having a big time, I'm sure. Yeah, they did. You got to wonder. I've said this before. We've got something bad wrong in our culture, and that was back in the '80s. But it's happening today. What is wrong with our young people? that they think these kinds of behaviors are okay, that our young men are the ones going around, you know, having all these mass shootings these days. It's the young people that are out in the streets that are protesting. What is wrong? What is wrong is we're not raising these people correctly. We're not raising our children correctly. We've let this go on for how many decades? Well, i got to tell you what. In Indiana during that time, in Gary, Indiana, and uh, Hatcher, I don't know if he was still mayor or not. I'd have to lot of water gone under the bridge since then all i can say is that hatcher 
who was the first black mayor of a major city in the United States with Gary, Indiana. Gary, That's where he was. Uh, he let the family run rampant. That was a crime yep. group in Indiana and in, in, in Gary. And they controlled the cocaine uh, trade at that point. And a gazillion dollars. Well, you always think about and where they're giving him money. Hatcher, you know? Well, yeah there's, yeah, there's a lot of yeah. things in there. That's I why mean, a lot of this is I running I remember rampant. going going to press conferences and members of the family there with Uzi. So, yeah, they they were he was deep into it with them. So drug cartels. That's what it, it, it was. It's been going on for a long time, folks. I can, it's still that's going all on. that I can it tell you. It always comes down to the money. OK, I got to get to a break. We got the news coming up here on the Dave Ellswick show. Okay, so the the name of uh, uh, the killer uh, that uh, killed Wendy Gallagher that I was mentioning, uh, his name was Eugene Lockhart. He was put to death in the Texas death chamber uh, in nineteen. Well, what 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 is the date here? I'm got to get the date right here. Um, in ninety seven. Is when he was killed, December ninth, ninety seven. That's ten years after uh, Wendy was killed. Wendy was a sixteen year old high school student at Griffith High School in Northwest Indiana, and uh, I'm trying to think. I think it was her sister who found her, if I'm not mistaken, and she was bound and gagged and and eviscerated by this guy. Um, I mean, just read the story here. Elm, it was on Elmer Street in Griffith on the afternoon of October 13th, found gagged and, and slashed in a vicious manner. She was disemboweled, by the way. Uh, veteran cops and coroner's deputies found it staggering. Their mother, April, who had who had been at work, was called home for the shocking news of crime. The Calumet High School pom-pom girl killed in her own home on a quiet street in a quiet community gripped the area like a few murders have before or since. It was months before Lockhart was identified as a killer, uh, tied to the crime by a single fingerprint on a water glass inside the uh, Gallagher apartment. He was under the sentence of death in Indiana and Florida, but Christine said she knew in her heart it was Texas where her sister's killer would die. Mother and daughter traveled to Texas to witness the final chapter in the real-life drama. Both were offered the opportunity of watching at a Texas prison as Texas prison officials administer a lethal injection to Lockhart, but Christine has declined. Five months pregnant with her second child, she said, I chose not to. Being pregnant, it was an automatic response. I don't want to put myself through any stress that could harm the baby. Her husband, Larry, and their son, Adams, too, will stay in Hobart. I started this on my own. I will finish it on my own. My mom and I will do this together. April Gallagher will go into the viewing area to watch as the man who killed her daughter will die. She will be joined by the father and stepfather, Jennifer Kohauer, 15, of Florida murdered by Lockhart and Paul Halsey Sr., whose son Paul Jr., 34, was shot down while trying to apprehend Lockhart in Beaumont. I think she's a little apprehensive, Christine said of her mother, but 
not that much. So anyway, he found, you know, he got, as far as I'm concerned, his just desserts. Uh, he got to live 10 years longer than Wendy did. Uh, she would have been, what, 26 then when he died. So anyway, it was uh, that was it. I stopped being a reporter in Indianapolis uh, 1996. I came home after covering a uh, a drug um, hit that had occurred on the, the south side of Indianapolis and got there and the driver of the car uh, was slumped over the wheel of the car, had been shot at close range. Uh, we found out with a three fifty seven. Uh, his partner was sprawled in the street to the right of the car, dead. Uh, and I, I was standing, I was talking to the lieutenant uh, from the Indianapolis Police Department, and I don't remember his name. I should, but I don't. And uh, talking to him about uh, the murder, it had been drug-related seen a whole lot of those there was a war going on at the time in indianapolis about it and uh they uh, uh i was talking to him and i was standing there and i was doing a live shot from it for the morning show with with pigeon and 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 stacy and steve and talking on the air about it and and, and something happened at that moment that i decided that my soul was dying and I had to quit covering this kind of, of, uh, of story. Cause I, that's what my story, my stories were about the, the crime, the police beat. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we were sitting there talking and I noticed as I was talking to the Lieutenant and as I was talking on the air with, uh, with Pidge and all the rest of them, uh, that the, you know, all streets are crowned basically. In other words, uh, so when the water falls, it runs to the to the gutters and then out uh, to the, you know, to wherever it's going to go. And uh, the blood had pooled at the, uh, the the feet of myself and uh, the police officer. We weren't in it. We were on top of the curb, but it was right there at our feet. And I, I went home that day. And I, I got home, and uh, I had been called out at about one thirty in the morning by my wife, or not my wife, my uh, by the news uh, uh, person who uh, sent me out to cover the story. And I told my wife says, "Well, what happened?" And I said, "I, uh, I said I, it was another another drug bust, another another drug, uh, you know, murder. war murder. Two guys were killed." young guys couldn't have been older than 22 years old and uh i told her i said that's the last one i'm not doing this anymore and she said what's wrong and i said i feel like something inside of me is dying just getting killed off this is the stress that we're seeing right now also across the country with police officers and your reporters i have also the are utmost respect line. for cops because let course. me tell you what, they see the worst every day, yeah. day in, they day out. Do. I my have a husband, lot of respect for Jack. My husband is a law enforcement officer. He is not a beat cop, 
But let me tell he you, he was at one time every wasn't day he? when he was a young man. I know that, but I mean, yeah. And he worked on he the knows. streets of New York when he was so in he his twenties. And uh, yeah, every you don't forget either. I'm just telling you, well, you don't forget that. And not to be personal, he uh, decided he wanted to go back when he was asked several years ago to get back into that line of work. And of course, he is my husband. <laughs> At the same time, I will tell you, though, the people that I know that are in law enforcement are very good people. And the reason they're there and they deal with that kind of stress on a very daily basis and go home to their wives and their children and hug them and kiss them. And they are the reason that they do those jobs every day to protect all the rest of us. And that kind of stress is not something you can push off lightly. And every single officer that you see is under that kind of stress people do not do not understand do not understand coroners yeah first responders emts all those people and we don't pay them enough we don't give them the respect they deserve yeah we don't support them i just knew that i had to get out of it for whatever it's worth now that it occurs to me and i don't know if this is a a legitimate organization i haven't looked them up i did see cross my path there is a blue lives matter arkansas organization they are calling for a blue lives matter march on saturday the is that 18th. by any chance is andrea rockefeller part of that <laughs> i don't know i don't I know be, all i, I saw was the event passed by it's at 9 a.m on saturday morning at the clinton library this it's saturday blue lives matter arkansas Andrea, if you're involved with that, get a hold of me. All right. We'll talk about it. She's part of my Facebook. I get a hold of her. Yeah. See if she's helping it. I remember when she did a really big one. uh, We were over at the old, uh, off of Chanel, the old studio, when we were 96.5, and she did one, and um, they had the police cars out there and all of that. Let me me tie this back. I mean, thousands of people should show up for that. I'm just saying. Let me tie this back to what we were talking about earlier when we were talking about Mr. McCloskey from St. Louis, the fellow with the AR-15. He has been on the news several times, and he was on again last night. And what he said was, if we don't stand up, if we don't stand up for what we know is right, and I'm paraphrasing, and we've got to speak out. We cannot sit down. We cannot stay silent. We have got to speak out. On Saturday morning, Blue Lives of Arkansas. Okay. Yeah, take we've the time. Take your people. kids. Take your kids. I mean, they'll, remember, they'll have a lot of static displays and stuff. Well, remember years ago, uh, the Tea Party movement, when it first started up, one of the things that people used to say was, there's more of us than them. We surround them. I sure them. as hell hope so. I think it's still the case that conservatives are still so. in a majority, but I'm here to tell you we got to open our mouths. We've got to quit cowering, quit backing off, quit kneeling down, quit giving in, quit paying off, quit giving lip service just to get out of the line of fire because it ain't going to work. We've yeah. got to address the problems, basically, but we also have to stand up for what we know is right and what we believe in. Well, I would just tell you that, you know, when you – are part and parcel of any kind of brutal killing, whether you're there to report on it, whether you're there to solve it, whether, God forbid, you're the victim that it happened to. It leaves marks on you. It does leave marks on you. And uh, I talked with my, well, a couple of my 
relatives who think they're real macho and they want to get out and you know they're like yeah i if that happened to me i would do this and this and this and i've called them down before you don't know what you're talking about you've not experienced anything close to that you know that's one of my favorite parts of the the movie Patton. At the beginning when George C. Scott gives what is a combination of three speeches that Patton gave to his men before they went to Germany to fight the Germans. And he said, uh, the, I'm going to paraphrase here, uh, that there's a, you're wondering what you're going to do, you know, basically when the balloon goes up, when you're faced with having to shoot other men. And he says, when you put your hand in the goo that just a few moments before was the face of your best friend, you'll know what to do. And let me just say, when I've been on crime scenes and I've been in combat zones and you see what people have done, terrible things that they have done you know you know what uh uh society has to do the death penalty has a legitimate purpose in our society all right a break then we'll, we'll finish it up here on the dave ellswick show all right let's finish it up for this tuesday don't forget for wednesday we have got, uh, it's 7 o'clock, uh, Congressman French Hill will join us uh, to the bottom of the hour at 7.35, Dr. Terry Yamauchi, special guest, and we'll talk to him about COVID-19 and uh, pick his brain a little bit, find out what he's known, because he's, look, he used to work for the CDC, and he's still got people he knows, so he probably knows stuff that we don't know. You know, it's been long enough. We ought to have actual real data that's not contaminated by politics by well, now. Be nice. But we don't. But anyway, we'll be uh, we'll be talking to him. And then Joe will be here because uh, Duck uh, is out of uh, pocket for a while, taking care of personal things. And then he'll be back, uh, I think, the end of uh, this month. So uh, the, the car guys will be here tomorrow in the form of one person and one person joe can concentrate he can hand he can handle it with one arm tied behind his back and even then i don't think that the uh, the fight would be fair just to be honest with you that guy's got more stuff stuffed than his head about cars than most people do the car and truck doctor and yeah. today you had the bible guy yeah it's july everybody's gone but on vacation see, what's funny here's what's funny about it is that uh you know, Scott and I started it off just between the two of us uh, on the air. And he's right. I asked him to come over when uh, I was uh, initiating the Dave Ellswick show at 96.5, uh, The Voice, as it was called at that time, and uh, asked him to come over and uh, pray uh, over the show. And, and he did so. And then we got into a discussion uh, about uh, spiritual things and it's become an integral part of the sh- of the show uh ever since why well look politics very important to this show we yeah, talk all. about it all the time family very important to this show we talk about it all the time 
but your spiritual side is very, very important. And if you have not dealt with it, you need to. And in fact, if you haven't, you're part of the problem. The bottom line is uh, we talk about it all the time as well. I've been trying to post your Bible, guys, that one hour. Uh, we pull it off, you know, as a separate video. And I've been trying to repost that on Sundays just for those folks who, you know, might be browsing around and hadn't seen it or heard yeah. it earlier in the week. Well, what's interesting and it's, it's always great yeah, information. They're, they're really, 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 really good. All right. So little story here that I pulled up. Uh, as I mentioned earlier in the show, if you had been listening, I don't know if you listened to the morning part of the show, but if you were, you heard that I said that the leftists always, they'll attack you even if you're a liberal, all right, and are sympathetic to their side of an argument. And uh, the leftists have uh, attacked Disney now over hamilton they want hamilton taken down christopher baker wrote a very great story on screen rant about hamilton and it said part of hamilton's charm is the show's clever use of hip-hop and rap influences both of which serve specific purposes in the narrative there are dozens of individual moving parts that makes Hamilton the technical masterpiece that it is. And by the way, it is very good. All right. Don't agree with uh, their points sometimes, but uh, technically it's it's awesome. Uh, arguably, the biggest is the emphasis on hip hop and rap in the musical song structure. Uh, it debuted back in 2015. The musical has achieved unprecedented success appealing to both Broadway fanatics as well as people unfamiliar to the world of theater. For years after its premiere, it was only accessible to a small circle of people able to attend the Broadway production, but that's changed as a result of a filmed version of the musical that was released on Disney+. Plus. But it is now under attack. They want it taken down. So what's it about? It revolves around the life of founding father Alexander Hamilton. The musical weaves together his rise through the budding political circuit, as well as the story of America's founding to shed a light on America's potential future. The show's writer and composer received the inspiration for the musical while reading a book on Hamilton's life by Ron Chernow in the process of adopting the novel into a stage musical uh, the producer had the idea to cast most of the central characters as actors of color, a commentary on the irreplaceable contribution of immigrants and minorities to uh, America's birth. With so many black faces within the show, it would only make sense to represent those cultures within the framework of the musical. Hamilton does this in a very distinct and purposeful, uh, purposeful way weaving hip-hop itself into the narrative uh, through the song. What's interesting that it resonates with people today, but people in that era enjoyed basically minuets and things of that nature. They had, they had no clue what hip-hop uh, meant at all. A key thematic focus on Hamilton is how history review those with a key place in it 
something that is expressly discussed in the song history has its eyes on you so anyway that's uh, so we have this play that has incorporated uh, rap music yep. which came from the black culture yep but it's not okay either not no <laughs> I mean, no they want this taken down they yeah. want it gone yeah they want to censor it <laughs> you know if you if you've listened to some of these people you would think that the black part of our population has been completely and totally ignored for all these years you know that's funny because if it hadn't been for black <laughs> culture we'd not have rock and roll oh yeah oh yeah there's so many things and and yet it doesn't matter when you're in their way you're going to get taken out nancy pelosi today it's in the news oh no her opponent what is now? a democrat socialist okay She's a capitalist. She needs to go. She needs to be canceled. There That's you what go. he says. There you go. Pretty cool stuff. Now, I like, like that. I said, if culture. you're not pure enough with these people, yeah, they're going to turn on you no matter who you are. They're a lot like the people who did the French Revolution. What was the difference between the American Revolution and the French Revolution? And it's the faith aspect of each of those revolutions. Uh, the American Revolution was based around the Creator, around God, Judeo-Christian thought. That not, was not so around the French Revolution. In fact, Jefferson liked the French Revolution because of that. But by the end of the French Revolution, the very people who were dragging the aristocrats to the stage and beheading them were the people who were being beheaded by the uh, really, really diligent French aristocrat not aristocrats, but I guess bourgeoisie, I guess we could say, of, of the uh, proletariat of, of their age. They were whacking their heads off. They, they ate their own, so to mm-hmm. speak. There was a lot of blood in the French Revolution, definitely innocent blood. That's it. Elizabeth, glad to have you here. Thank you, sir. Always fun. Thanks to uh, Scott for coming in. I'm Dave Ellswick. Don't miss us tomorrow. I'll get it underway at 6 a.m. and 7, Congressman French Hill.